Hello, listeners. This is David Blakesley talking to you on episode 92 of Criterion Reflections. This is a podcast where we are going through assorted films of the Criterion Collection in chronological order of their original release. And uh, we are here in 1972, just getting started with season four. This is the second episode of our fourth season of the podcast um, as we take a look at films that were released in 1972 that have some kind of connection to the Criterion Collection. And so today, just by a kind of happy coincidence, we've got two Italian films from early 1972, The Matai Affair, released in January of that year, and then The Seduction of Mimi, that was released in February. Um, very coincidentally, these two films kind of connect to each other because they are both Italian films with a, I will say, decidedly leftist political slant. Uh, the Matai Affair was directed by Francesco Rossi. It's a more serious kind of biopic of about a, about a very prominent Italian figure of the 1950s and early 60s named Enrico Matai. We'll have a lot more to say about him and the significance of his life and his place in Italian society and culture of the time. Uh, the second film is The Seduction of Mimi, directed by Lena Burkmuller, a very uh, influential and popular Italian director of the 1970s. She had a pretty long career, and she's actually still alive. Uh, her reputation maybe has faded a little bit, not by anything that she's done. It just maybe has fallen out of favor a little. And we'll talk a little bit about her prominence and kind of uh, relative obscurity these days as we get into that. But uh, let's welcome our first guest, well, our only guest today, uh, Jason Beamish. Thank you for joining me today. Hello, and thank you for having me. Second well, episode of the season. That's that's stressful. <laughs> well, you know what? This is kind of a low pressure uh, as far as <laughs> I'm concerned, just because, you know, let's, let's face it. These are two films that um, are kind of trending on the more obscure fringes of the yes. Criterion Collection. So our, our intention is not to maybe get into deep analysis of the films themselves. I, my guess is that people who regularly listen to this podcast may not have seen these films. Um, or maybe they will watch them simply because we, we've brought them up on the docket here. Uh, but I basically want to give an introduction to the films, maybe a sure. bit of an overview. We can talk a little bit about what happens in the movies, but uh, try to maybe avoid the more obvious spoilers or whatever that may be worth. Uh, but yeah, I think here my intentions are a little bit more promotional to say, yeah, these are interesting films, definitely worth checking out. Uh, will they ever be released on disc by Criterion? Probably not. I would say it's doubtful for various reasons, but we'll see. Sure. And, um, you know, see if uh, people want to engage with a little bit of conversation if they have seen it, or maybe they watch it after they hear the podcast and uh, we can get into it a little bit further at various places on social media. But first, Jason, let's just catch up a little bit. Uh, right. you know, I interact with you pretty regularly and various uh, Facebook and, and uh, other social media platforms. Uh, but how's things going for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself for listeners who maybe haven't heard your stuff before. Well, um, my name is Jason. I I run, in air quotes, the uh, filmruminations.com. I'm the only person, so it's not like <laughs> I run anything. Um, I've been doing that for, I don't know, six, almost seven years now. Uh, a couple years ago, I decided to also make a small podcast just to uh, chat about mostly obscure boutique title or boutique labels more so than well and the titles specifically but so mm -hmm. it's it's just a, an opportunity to celebrate 
the even more fringier side of this golden age of home video that we're living in. It, we really are. And I know you, you've got a pretty broad, eclectic taste. Mm-hmm. I mean, you like to get into kind of the horror genre and other things. I was just checking out your site this morning and, and oh. looking at your most recent post, which is kind of your, what, 15 favorite releases of 2020 on home video. Correct. A, a pretty impressive list. I mean, there are a few titles that I haven't checked out myself, mm-hmm. but obviously the Criterion stuff jump to the forefront uh, come and see being your number one but you also mentioned some of the obvious picks there yeah. yeah 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 anything you want to say about that particular list or or anything else that you've got either going on or or coming up in the in your film room nations project i need to get back to the podcast um the my the the first major project in the podcast was to go through the films from the american genre film archive collection mm-hmm. and I had changed over to Grindhouse Releasing because I was caught up, but now I'm getting behind again, mostly because my primary laptop decided to kick the old bucket. Mm. So um, I just got some new equipment to to be able to add a little bit of audio to it, and now all of a sudden I'm back into a holding pattern. My work laptop doesn't like to do more than two or three things at a time. Yeah, yeah. Work laptops tend to be a little bit boxed in by yeah. some of the clamps that our employers put on them, as well as just the fact that they're often, you know, secondary or yeah, you know, a little bit older equipment. So yeah, I, I mean, get it, it. It does the job. I'm not gonna, yeah, you know, I'm not gonna complain. But when it comes to the editing, that I'm a little, I'm a little, little leery of. Sure. But sure. the the plan is to kind of get back into it uh, because they they really put out some interesting things. Um, but aside from that. I just did a spot over on the Force Five podcast. Uh, if you're, it's pretty new. Mm-hmm. It's uh, we'll call it a pandemic podcast. Okay, yeah. Sure. He was looking as Jason Kleberg. He was, you know, looking for a way to connect with people when we can't connect with people very easily. Yeah, you know, I, I started my own little sort of branching out. Uh, got into TikTok at the beginning mm-hmm. of this year, so it's just sort of a an opportunity to connect with a, a new audience and, sure. and to. Uh, you know, just to kind of engage in a new a new format, these little short, you know, 15 to 60 second video clips and been having a blast with it. So I definitely understand that interest, that curiosity to reach out to to new folks and yeah. and to connect when uh, in-person meetups and large group gatherings are just not really <laughs> uh, an option for, for many of us or really most of us who are of any kind of sense in our heads. So. Yeah, I mean, if- you got to wear yeah. hazmat gear to a meetup. You might as well just not do it. Yeah, exactly. Virtual will suffice for yeah. the time being, at least. All right. Well, good. Well, I do appreciate you jumping in on sure. this with me. I mean, this isn't one of those uh, episodes where I've just got to sort of say, sorry, folks, uh, we're, we got a full house here. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it's probably, and I don't think anything of a disrespect to these films at all. It's just, no. you know. If they're they're kind of plucked from the archives for sure, and uh, as I say, they've both been featured on the Criterion Channel, but uh, not available on disc. Uh, the Mattia Affair is currently playing on Criterion Channel. Not sure exactly if that was it. It's not a friend. Is it a Francesco Rossi bundle? I should have probably looked into that. Uh, not all of his were on there. Uh, okay. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I saw his name on there. I saw the title, right. and you know the. The little hey, let's talk about this box. Yeah, the invitation there. Sure. And I'm like, you know what? I love his Italian crime films because yeah. I originally thought it was Fernando De Leo. Oh, okay. And yeah. his Matthias <laughs> Fair, which he does not yeah. have a Matthias Fair, mind you. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
Rara Video released a couple box sets of his crime films that are just great. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, yeah, definitely. Let's talk about this. And then I look at it and I'm like, oh, good. It's about labor unions. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is a crime involved. Yeah. Oh, uh, definitely. Speculatively is. there. And it's definitely about um, gangster politics yeah. and economics on a very large scale. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll get into that. Sure. And, and then the seduction of Mimi uh, was part of a Lena Vertmuller bundle that Criterion featured back in 2020 last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that bundle has since come and gone. Uh, but Bert Muller is very much a, a respectable and praiseworthy director who had a really big impact. And this film is now available. I found a free version on Prime Video, free mm-hmm. being I'm a subscriber to Amazon Prime, so that comes with the package. And I noticed you, you know, one of the images you sent me, there's like three different versions of the film on Amazon Prime, uh, two of which are rental or purchase, and then yeah. there's this one for free. So. I'll take the free option. Thank you very much. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Although it's worth noting um, in the links that you had sent me, and we could probably talk about this a little bit later, it is out on Blu-ray with Kino. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think Kino's got a pretty good selection of her major films as well. Yeah, they have a box set with this and All Screwed Up and Love and Anarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then yeah. Seven Beauties and Swept Away. I think those are the other two kind of... Mm-hmm key releases from hers um again she had a lengthy career i you know she's in her 90s now and according to wikipedia she's still doing theatrical productions and and things of that sort uh so you know pretty impressive length of career but the 70s were clearly her golden age mm-hmm. and uh you know i i imagine that i'll be talking about the rest of her 70s stuff uh in the years ahead as this podcast makes its methodical way through uh, the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and so it is kind of a nice coincidence. I think that's why I decided to just combine uh, these two films into one episode. Uh, again, we don't necessarily intend to go real deep or necessarily even all that lengthy, but we'll see where the conversation takes sure. us and uh, and launch into it from there. So let's start with the Matai Affair. This was a uh, pretty successful film, certainly within the um, the critical ranks of its time. It was a co-winner of the Palme d'Or at Cannes in 1972. This was a follow-up that Rossi made to a film titled Many Wars Ago, which came out in 1970, and I just happened to watch it last night. I actually ordered the Raro video, uh, a disc of that, because they had a sale not that long ago, Mm -hmm. and it caught my attention, and I said, oh, wow, check it out. There's Francesco Rossi right there, and I'll watch that and just get a little bit of a context of uh, what he was doing right before he did this particular film. Uh, Rossi has a pretty good pedigree within Criterion. His three earlier films, uh, Salvatore Giuliano, is really kind of like a touchstone of the whole mafia crime genre. I, I, I would absolutely say uh, that and Mafioso, whose director's names escapes me, those really are kind of like foundational works for you know all the films that you know are much more famous now you know the godfather and goodfellas and casino and all the you know all the mafioso films that uh, have kind of become their own sort of school mm-hmm. in cinema really can be traced to salvatore giuliano which has almost a bit of a documentary feel rossi's really investigating the the real life figure by that name and his uh you know, entrapment by the world of organized crime, the Sicilian mafia. And uh, and that's kind of 
that marked the trajectory of his of his um, subsequent career. He did uh, Hands Over the City, which was based on kind of um, the corruption within the city, urban planning, real estate, again, the the influence of, of crime and, and bribery and things of that sort, starring Rod Steiger. That was a 1963 film. And then The Moment of Truth, which was kind of an exploration of the Spanish bullfighting culture and where he looked at a particular real-life Toreador. So there's always been this element, it seems, of actual people and historic events that Rossi wants to investigate and bring to life and um, engage his viewers to say, let's take a look at what happened here in this particular situation and uh, study the the implications of what it means for us in our lives and society today. So that kind of thing kind of fits into one of my wheelhouses. I, I really do enjoy films that are kind of reality-based and look at some of the more poignant controversies and issues, uh, as long as it's done with a bit of an artistic touch and it's not just this heavy-handed lecture. I, I do enjoy the opportunity to sort of uh, dig deeper into you know historic realities that, that continue to have implications years after the events themselves have have taken place. So uh, that's kind of a little overview of of, uh, the Mattai affair as far as kind of where it sits. Uh, It's about a a figure named Enrico Mattai, and uh, maybe I'll get a little into a little mini bio uh, of him in in just a moment. But first, let me ask you, Jason, have you had a chance to see any of Rossi's uh, earlier films or or any of his later stuff, as a matter of fact? Um, I cannot say that I did. And, and and that's okay, because I, I'm very interested in your reaction, just sort of dropping in on this one. Um, you know, we don't need to, you know, go on at length about Rossi, although I, I will recommend him as a director. Sure. He he did another film uh, called Christ Stopped at Ebola uh, from 1979. It, I think it was originally made for TV, like a three or four part series, kind of an extended four hour type of uh, saga about an, another figure from the fascist years in the uh, either late 30s, early 40s, where uh, as he was kind of on the wrong side of Mussolini, um, he was an intellectual and activist, the, the central character in Christ Bully, I'm talking about not Rossi himself, uh, but a, a man who was exiled to the south of Italy uh, from the urban north. I think he was from Milan. Um, and you know, basically forced to live among the peasants. Um, and Italian society, if you're not familiar, has kind of this north-south divide. Mm-hmm. The north is kind of where all the money is made, and the south is where kind of the you know, archaic feudal peasants still live and all their superstitions and all of their old Catholic guilt and all of that kind of stuff is kind of, you know, that's the cultural divide that uh, sort of drives so much of Italian, you know, society. And uh, it's a really fantastic film. It was my number two pick for all of the Criterion releases that I saw in 2020, Hmm. though I did exclude the uh, um, Agnes Varda and Fellini boxes from Mm -hmm. that because they're just so magnificent and so 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 massive but i really did enjoy getting caught up in that story so i i will give francesco rosi a, a very strong recommendation he doesn't get the same kind of attention and acclaim that you get with the fellinis or the antonionis or even figures like you know pasolini de sica uh, you know visconti such and such so, you know, so here we are looking at a couple of directors who were pretty notable within the Italian cinema scene 
of their time, but uh, who maybe just don't get as, as talked about quite as much. Uh, they, they may not be as uh, eloquent or as lyrical as those earlier Italian you know, masters were, but uh, very much worth checking out. So um, I don't know if you've got anything more to say about Rossi, if you had any impressions from him as a director that you pulled just from this first viewing. I will say that Christ Stop It, I believe, was on my list to see the next, mm-hmm. as soon as I had a chance. Yeah. Um, because it did look very interesting. And that was one of the releases that was kind of on the fringes for me mm-hmm. last year um, that I just needed that one little extra push, which you just gave me there you um, go. to, to kind of vault that to the top of the list. And I'm pretty sure we have a flash sale coming up soon. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm counting the days, hopefully this <laughs> coming week or the week after, you know, I've already got, uh, was it, Mandabi, that one's on pre-order, but I'm really hoping to get Man Push Cart and the other late February stuff at the flash sale. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, kind of holding, uh, holding on and waiting for that uh, that event to drop. Uh, another right. film that I want to check out from Rosie is Lucky Luciano, which I think came out right after this one, which sounds again like it's right up that uh, mafia crime alley. So definitely, you know, encourage people to to do a little bit of research. I think the other Rossi films, Hands Over the City, Moment of Truth, and uh, Giuliano uh, are all available on the Criterion channel, so strike me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but uh, they are not too hard to find. Yeah. Uh, yes, and yes. But all, the, aside from Christ Stop the Bully, all three of the ones that you can get on disc are on the channel. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for uh, confirming that for me. Before we get into the movie itself, let's talk about Enrico Mattei then. He was a uh, somewhat of an opportunist, it seems, but he came out of, I mean, he was a fascist party member during the Mussolini years, but as the tide of war kind of turned sour for that particular faction, he was able to nimbly step out of that role and become a little bit more uh, involved in the reconstruction of the Italian economy and society in the post-war years. Um, in the show notes, there are some sort of biographical uh, links about mm-hmm. Matei because he he really does seem to have played a very uh, important role in getting the Italian nation back up on its feet after the you know chaos and devastation of the war. And, and his particular field of f- focus was the energy industry. He, I guess, I've seen him described as an oil magnet, as an administrator, uh, as kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a, a grand poobah of, of getting the economy going again uh, by uh, sort of tapping into the, uh, the fuel reserves that Italy had access to. Um, it wasn't so much in oil, though. He, his, his initial breakthrough was in methane and finding... Uh, exploitable energy resources mm-hmm. within Italian, you know, the Italian territory. But once he uh, established kind of his foothold there, he, um, he, he, his, his task was to um, convert the old fascist dominated um, Italian energy business into something that would fit better with, you know, the post-war um, modern world of the fifties and sixties. Uh, but what I think drew Rossi's interest is the fact that he did this in a way that really sought to nationalize 
that that wealth and those resources and what i see when i say nationalize i mean make the the italian oil industry an extension of the government but rather than from a sort of a right-wing fascist perspective uh he wanted to do this from a very socialistic or even communist uh, angle which would be you know presumably to share the wealth with the working people of of Italy and and of of the people who lived on the land where those resources were extracted, and that brought him into a point of extreme tension and conflict with many of the powers that be, and that's kind of what the movie is about. He tried to resist the interests of the American centered oil industry. He uh, tried to break up some of the cartels and the uh, sort of monopolies that were developing within places like, you know, the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Iran, etc. And he was also very willing to get on friendly terms with the Soviet Union and all of the oil reserves that that cluster of nations had access to. And that earned him some enemies. <laughs> and so the Matai affair is kind of framed as a as an exploration of his death under you know mysterious slash suspicious circumstances in a plane crash in 1962 and that disaster that scene kind of opens the film and kind of comes around full circle to try to understand what happened in the events that led up to that plane crash so you know that's just a really quick sketch uh any other thoughts you have on the figure of Matai himself? I don't know if you had a chance to do any reading up on his uh, historic uh, footprint or any of that. Um, a little bit. It's, it's, it's an interesting life, you know, coming straight out of the, the Italian fascism and then balking at capitalism, which hates anything that balks against it. Mm-hmm. it really did. The way that the film put it together was rather compelling and interesting. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I've seen a lot of very compelling and interesting, more socially minded films. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and we have to take into account that this is a fictionalized telling. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we cannot say for a fact that the character of Matai, as he's depicted here, lines up you know perfectly with oh, the historical sure. figure. Uh, Rossi is a man. I I think you, you have to say he was absolutely a leftist that was his Mm -hmm. that was his abiding political ideology um that's more or less where i fall on the spectrum i don't Mm -hmm. think of myself as extremely liberal i think of myself as moderate because what i believe is sensible (laughs) you know and and just kind of the the best way of taking the facts at hand and putting them together into a uh, sort of a political alignment but Mm -hmm. i guess by popular taste i would say yeah I'm, i'm on the left and so um, you know, I can I can be sympathetic and and give uh, Rossi and Matei you know fair consideration, but I think we'd be you know a little bit naive to say this is how it is. And, yeah. and Matei was you know clearly on the path to enlightenment and prosperity for all people. I mean, he was a he was a power player. He was a mover and shaker. And anytime you get into power on that level, there's going to be you know hints of corruption and compromise and dirty deals and self-dealing and all of that it's it sort of just comes with the territory but i i did find it pretty interesting uh you know again this idea that rosie is making what 
looks to me like popular entertainment. This was Mm -hmm. a film that won awards that I think was produced to, you know, lure in crowds. He wasn't making some kind of obscure cult in the, you know, meant to be played in front of, you know, crowds of 15 or 20 people in a, in a mostly empty theater. He, he really wanted to, you know, make a statement. This is a movie that I think was looking to, you know, galvanize a certain type of public reaction and, and the, the agenda, if you will, or the, 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 the desired outcome was to make the idea of a nationalized, uh, oil industry, uh, kind of a plausible, you know, thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, that's where you get into the interesting politics here is that, um, Matai was a figure who was trying to find sort of a third way between the hardcore capitalism of USA and, mm-hmm. and their various interests and the stringent Leninist, uh, Stalinist, uh, Soviet-style communism, and and not even really a Maoist either, which would be kind of the other prominent school of thought on the left at that time. He's like, let's do a European-style communism uh, without being ashamed or apologetic about the, the big C word right there, yeah. you know? And, uh, and that's pretty fascinating just to think about uh, how how does that play? And maybe we'll get into that sort of post analysis as we you know, kind of maybe get the other film under our belt and kind of wrap up the episode. But let's just talk a little bit about the Matai affair. Um, I've sp- been speaking quite a bit, so give me some of your just impressions about the movie. I don't know if you want to do a synopsis of the story, uh, but I'll just let you. Well, take that I section here. I feel like you've done a, a pretty good job about the synopsis of the story. I would. There's a few things that I wanted to really touch on is. In the editing and directing, um, it really reminded me of some of Mario Baba's more uh, less horror um, films. Just the way that kind of, especially in the final scenes, the like the snap edits, um, it did have some very interesting moments. But when I go back to this village, uh, the Village Voice article that you sent to me mm-hmm. from yeah. Molly Haskell, it really mm-hmm. sums it up very well, in my opinion of uh, Francesco Rossi's The Matai Affair is both competent and uninspired commercial work and social consciousness <laughs> and yeah. left, left-wing in their sympathies. It, I, would, I am not surprised that this is not something that Criterion wants to put on disc. It would be for the completionists. Right. It's interesting. It's well-made, but there's plenty of very, very good options for interesting and well-made. But it, it was nice to see some filmmaking intricacies that mm-hmm. didn't really play too much throughout the entire thing, but definitely in the the ending scene, which you know I don't want to spoil by any it, this what fifty sixty year old story now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. But but uh, I I enjoyed it. It's not going to be on the top of any of my lists. But it is it's it's still interesting, like you were saying, to see the like the 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 bear, the bellwether change in this person, uh, Matai, in his life from being a member of the fascist governing body and then being given the unenviable task of changing how the energy system worked in Italy. 
um, it was interesting in that sense, but yeah, yeah. So if you're if you're looking to sort of get a catch up on the Italian economic miracle, which I think is really actually very very worthy study because okay. you know as we talk about the you know Fellini and Antonioni and and some of the you know undisputed masters of, of of Italian film, and you know people people love those movies and and you know La Dolce Vita and uh, Antonioni's Alienation trilogy in particular are all really fundamentally based on the economic revival the, of Italy. If you think about like neorealism, you know, okay. bicycle thieves and that kind of, you know, late 40s stuff, and you look at Italian society at that time, it's it's like, you know, sifting through the rubble. People just basically looking for the next loaf of bread that they can, you know, split up and feed their starving children with. And it's it's kind of a dismal situation. Rossellini's war trilogy. I mean, talk about a, a, a proud society that is just beat down to, you know, the stubs. And, and by, you know, the early sixties, we got all these fly suits and cool sunglasses and hot chicks. And okay. it's like, you know, life is good. Well, how did that happen over the course of 10 years? I mean, think about our last 10 years in history and you know we haven't seen anything quite like that we've seen a lot in our last 10 years but to go from you know pretty hard scrabble poverty to you know at least the emergence of a jet set and and a, a broadening prosperity that you know that didn't just come out of nothing you know there there was there were things that happened in italian society to put lira in people's pockets and to create a, a sort of a new affluence and a sense of style and and a, a kind of a forward-looking angle but also a, a, a hollowness and a, a kind of a, a a bit of a despair underneath all the glamour at the surface i mean that's definitely antonioni's alienation trilogy you've got you know these beautiful people Alain Delon, monica vitti etc marcello mastriani uh, jean moreau all kind of you know, living the dream in a sense, but also sensing that there's something that's just not quite right, or or there's something else that they're looking for. And so, if you want to sort of look at what are the economic roots of that, where did that money come from? How did the society rebound as fairly swiftly as it did? Uh, you know, Enrico Mattei is one of these kind of engineers of that. Now he, you know, he's certainly not you know living that kind of a. a you know, glamorous life. I don't think he's portrayed as this kind of, you know, sexy type of figure, but but the actor who does portray him, Jean-Marie Volante, I think is is extraordinary. And I'll have a little bit more to say about him in a minute. But uh, it's, it's basically to, to put those stories that many of us really appreciate because of the 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 energy and the allure of of the situations that they portray it's, it's guys like matei who said yeah okay here's here's how we're going to start circulating the wealth a little bit and and giving people the opportunity to get beyond uh you know the the hunger and the brittle outlook of of what the future may hold that we see in those late 40s neorealist classics i will stipulate to that i didn't even that that never actually crossed my mind mm -hmm. Um, that's what we're here for to give you context. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, just thinking that this would be what 30 years, about 20, 20 odd years after the war trilogy. 
Yeah, uh, well, yeah. This is you know, this is 1972. So there's a little bit of a you know throwback, but but he's really talking about events of the 50s and 60s. Sure, sure, sure. So this this is kind of in living memory of a lot of his intended audience. I mean, yeah, he's, he's talking I'm, to the grown-ups here, obviously. Yeah, I'm mostly talking about the fact, like what you're saying, how the the desolation of their society to what it is in this time. Yeah, I that's the part that didn't cross my mind. Um, yeah, no, Ro- Rossi and his his peers, you know, they were either children or young adults through the 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 hardest of times. Mm-hmm. And now here they are in the early 70s and and even the economic miracle, the big turnaround has settled into sort of a routine and and Italy of course at this time was riven by some pretty strong um, political, you know, divisions. I mean, it, Italian communism wasn't just a kind of a socialistic ideal, like we could just vote for the communists and they'll come in and peacefully mm-hmm. redistribute the wealth. I mean, there there was a revolutionary component and uh, a willingness to get violent if necessary. Uh, there was a leeriness about the, the return of the fascists under kind of a new, more palatable, you know, cloak and disguise. And so, you know, these tensions were, were very real. And when Rossi's kind of showing, you know, sympathy for hard left socialist communist uh, principles and, mm. and ideas of governance, he's clearly drawing a line. I mean, he's making a declaration that uh, maybe even some of his viewers might might disagree with or take him to task for. So, you know, it's it's uh, to me, there is a there is an element of, of courage and a willingness to sort of put himself out there, even though, again, what fascinates me is the idea of what's kind of more respectable, middle-class, middle-brow entertainment with kind of a, you know, yeah, let's go commie here. (laughs) That just struck me as really kind of unique and unusual. Um, Especially if you look at the the history of Italy even further back, um, I just read the uh, Napoleon biography. Mm. And during the Napoleonic years in France, Italy was nothing but several duchies oh, in the yeah. countryside. You know, it wasn't the transformation from that to, to what it is now or what it is in the, the 60s and 70s during the, this heyday. Yeah, well, I think it was. It was a, it was a confederation of yeah. city-states that had mm-hmm. often a lot of enmity and scorn toward each other. I mean, that, yeah. that, again, get back into that north versus south thing. Yeah. Oh, you're a Napolitan or Neapolitan. Or, uh, yeah. Oh, boy, well, you're, and, you're kind of you know, riffraff there, you know? Yeah, and of, you saw that last year uh, with the rise of the virus. Yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. The, you know, the, the civilization side of it, in air quotes, um, relying on the more rural because that's where the factories were that produced like the tests yeah, and they couldn't go to work because, you know, they couldn't protect themselves. Yeah. Italy was de- absolutely one of the harbingers, maybe even more yeah. so than, than China for, for the West, as far as how serious this crisis was about yeah. to become. They were kind of the bell bellwethers there. So yeah, that's a great observation just to kind of bring it into our own time. So you know, Italy's got a very complicated and fascinating history. Uh, we're not going to probably dig into all of that yeah, here, that, but that I think this, this film, <laughs> well, well, but this film kind of sheds light on yeah. an area that, you know, could be easily overlooked. And a lot of these connections that, that I was just making about, you know, Matei's role in that economic turnaround, mm-hmm. I had no idea up until I really started watching the film and then reading up on it. So, you know, that, that really is, the, this is the kind of thing that just kind of makes a, a film of this sort 
you know, more rewarding as kind mm-hmm. of a study in history and culture. But I, I will say you're right. On a certain level, there's a kind of a, I don't know, what's the word? Pedestrian, paint by numbers. I don't know. It's 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 a biopic. And so yeah. biopics are always kind of saddled by the need to be at least somewhat faithful to history and to try to, you know, take well-known public events and put them on screen in a way that, you know, tries to be compelling. And, and I think for the most part, he holds our interest. As you said, it's kind of, it's professionally made. Rosie's a skilled, talented director at this point. There's some good cinematography, some interesting, you know, uh, narrative effects and things like that. And it's kind of a, um, you know, kind of told in a flashback structure. So you're sort of seeing the end of Matei's life at the beginning, a, a an airplane, you know, disaster recovery scene. Uh, his wife is rushed to the airport. You know, she has her moment of grief as she realizes her husband is gone. But, you know, she's really a little bit more of a, a, a side character in all of this. We don't really get a chance to get to know Matei, the family guy, or or his personal life. It's really more about his professional exploits, his uh, boldness, and sitting down with a bunch of oil tycoons and basically telling them off at a, at a kind of a high profile dinner. Uh, he's kind of the, the man in charge. There's a scene where he's kind of you know, there's several scenes actually, where he gets to sort of make his bold declarations and shows that he's, he's pretty much the alpha dog in this scene. And so there's a, there's a bit of a, a portrayal of his charisma of his personal dynamics. And again, I guess this is where I'll get into Jean-Marie Vallante. Uh, I first got to know his work uh, as a lead figure in uh, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. Have mm-hmm. you had a chance to see that one, Jason? Uh, a while ago, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that movie. It's probably one of the most impressive performances. And I think it was just one of those situations where <laughs> watching that movie just tied into the times. Uh, I, I saw so many um, echoes of, of Trumpism and MAGA mm-hmm. and, and that whole mentality in in that character. Uh, if you don't know that film, it's about a police officer who kills somebody. He's, he's uh, basically the customer of a of a woman that he's having an affair with uh, she's a prostitute and and he kills this guy and very intentionally leaves clues that would implicate himself like his own shoe footprint in the in the blood and and other you know unmistakable evidence but because he's a very highly placed prominent police official a, a commander he knows he's kind of untouchable and he sort of flaunts that he just wants to know how far he can push the envelope of misconduct and still get away with it and uh, i'll let you draw your own parallels to the recently uh, you know departed president <laughs> and all of that but anyways volante is just such a powerful presence he's just got this great look about him he can you know he can do the seething low-key you know in internal boiling and then erupting into some kind of a flourish uh he can be smart boastful uh subdued he, he's just got a very great palette of of how he conveys his his thoughts and feelings as a performer and i think he's he he's used a very good effect here uh any impressions of volante as far as uh, his performance or or just kind of how you felt he did in uh, portraying this character i i thought he did a that his performance was very strong. He clearly is magnetic enough to draw attention, but he just, it's, he's not, he's not one of the recognizable faces of sixties and seventies Italian cinema. 
or not one of the immediately recognizable faces. So it'd be interesting to see what, what exactly affected that. Well, I think the more you get into this period of the Italian mm-hmm. cinema, you may find him more familiar. He he is the lead character in Christ Stopped at Eboli, sure. for instance. Uh, I think Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion is a pretty pretty key role for him. He was also in uh, Many Wars Ago, which is that 1970 World War One film. It's kind of an Italian Paths of Glory, if you want to kind of compare it to the well-known Kubrick film starring Kirk Douglas, in that it shows kind of the extreme wastefulness and dark cynical absurdity of war especially the way it was fought in world war one where you would have you know hundreds of men charging over the line into no man's land and just getting absolutely mowed down Mm -hmm. by you know a lineup of machine guns for for absolutely no effect like you might move the line back a few inches but more likely you're just going to lose hundreds of men to make a statement to follow orders and achieve absolutely nothing it's just colossally jaw-dropping to see how cheaply life was regarded Mm -hmm. in that war and and yet there's so many depictions of it that i can't believe they were just making this up out of nothing you know yeah so yeah i mean we don't have to again go on at great length any any other basic thoughts you have on on the matai affair it it did win the palm door so it certainly struck a nerve yes whether that was a, a an achievement award because people liked rosie because the issues it touched on were of great relevance to that audience it's hard for me to exactly say but it is it is pretty significant yeah it's worth mentioning the 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 palm door uh because i'm looking at the Cannes festival for for 72 um yeah what was its competition and it it won with another film by um uh, who was director goes to heaven Yeah. So again, again, (laughs) just from the title, another socio-political type of theme, and that was uh, was it Petrie? Was was the director of investigation of a citizen? So, so again, that seemed to be a bit of a sweet spot for the at least for the con jury of nineteen seventy-two. And I I I accept that, but this right now, just looking at this list, I'm reminded about all the times that you could look at the best picture winner and then see exactly what should have won the best picture. Oh yeah. And yeah. in this case, the Palm door should have definitely gone to Solaris. Yeah. Um, by yep. Tarkovsky, in my humble opinion. Well, and it's interesting. You mentioned that review from the village voice. There's actually two that are in the show. Yeah. It's one from 72, which was coverage of Khan. And, uh, the reviewer, uh, Molly Haskell did not have good things to say about Solaris mm-hmm. either. <laughs> so, well, you know, over time though, I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. I really do believe it's not, it's not people totally catch fair. up. Yeah. Well, exactly. And, 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 you know, again, it's, it's just, it's just a, a moment in time and these yeah. films kind of grow their reputation. There's a 73 review, I think, from Andrew Saris, who saw the Matai affair as it was showing in New York city the next year. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he actually liked it, even though he noted that it was playing to a mostly empty house. Yeah. So I think this is one of those films that is probably going to be a little bit more for the specialist. If, if it's a completist, oh, because yeah. you want to study Italian cinema, if you become a fan of Volante, as I am, uh, I definitely want to seek out more of his stuff. I just like watching that guy do his thing. Uh, Rossi, as I've already said, is a is a worthy director to 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 connect with, and uh, you know, and then there's the historic angle. So there's there a few go. other also interesting also runs or also runs from that year, including mm-hmm. Frenzy by Alfred Hitchcock. These uh, played but weren't in the, in the official competition. Yeah, uh, Macbeth by Roman Polanski. Oh my gosh, yeah. uh, Roma by Fellini. <laughs> uh, those wow. were not even in the competition. 
That's amazing. Well, However, and I guess sometimes competition is based on do the directors want to put I themselves on the line or not. But go ahead. Yeah. One of the other that was in the competition is the seduction of Mimi. Yes. Uh, yeah. And and this was Lena Vertmuller. That's a great segue, Jason. <laughs> so let's, <laughs> let's slide on over yeah. there. So Lena Vertmuller, she was a woman, a female director, uh, a protege of Fellini. She actually has assistant director credit on eight and a half. So that's a pretty nice line on the early portion of your resume, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Um, she was actually friends with the wife of Marcello Mastroianni. So uh, another, you know, sort of insider connection there. And that basically got her started in the uh, in film. Although, I guess if you look at her biography, uh, she's been in, she was interested in the visual arts and avant-garde theater and things of that sort really from her youth. So this is kind of just her pursuing that call, uh, that destiny, if you will. Uh, She started making feature films in the 1960s, but it really wasn't until this particular film, The Seduction of Mimi, where her career really took off. Um, Mm -hmm. So there there are a few earlier works. Uh, I was at a certain point in even getting ready for this podcast, I thought The Seduction of Mimi was kind of her you know, her debut, but uh, it's really more like her breakout after mm-hmm. I think three or four features prior to that. And I wasn't, I'm not sure exactly. I haven't seen any of her earlier stuff. And in fact, this is kind of my first serious introduction to Lena Vertmuller. I've, I've known of her films for many years. I remember even as a young teenager seeing ads for like swept away and seven beauties, I just never got around to watching them. And so I feel like I'm just beginning to make the acquaintance of a director who really intrigues me quite a bit. And I anticipate that I will really enjoy this journey of um, becoming familiar with her. So even a lot of my listeners may be much more well-versed than Bert Muller's work than I am. Um, how about you, Jason? How much have you seen of any of her other stuff? Zero uh, percent. Okay, so we're a couple of noobs here uh, yeah. going and, it, right? You know, to be to be totally fair for the listening audience, when you sent me a message that said you want to tie this in with a seduction of Mimi, my very first thought was that Criterion was starting to dip their toes into softcore pornography. Yeah, Emmanuel and that kind of and thing. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, yeah, let's let's do this. And then again, you got me. It's another well, movie about unions. Yeah, <laughs> you know there there is a a pretty startling sex scene if you want to. Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> we'll in get there. To that, right? Yeah, it is. It's, but uh, it, yeah, it, I, it dips its toes in the sex comedy. <laughs> it does, and and so, and but from a from a a, a female perspective, mm-hmm. um, one of the links I think is Lena Vertmuller does not consider herself to be a feminist. Yeah, I you know that may be her own personal labeling thing, and I respect that, but I think it's still pretty reasonable to put this in the you know broad category of feminist filmmaking mm-hmm. uh, because she really is you know uh, challenging the patriarchy among other things in this film um so yeah so basically from this point on she's got a very uh, strong cv going here with with some of the films we've already mentioned by name uh what's your kind of overall takeaway from the seduction of mimi i loved it yeah this is a lot of fun um I the, the 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 short version is the uh, star which I just had in my my mouth and it's gone now. So let me pull it back up. Giancarlo Giannini. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, He's yeah. First off, I 
familiar with his more recent work, just to see him as as a very very young man it is very interesting. So he. So when you talk about his more recent work, I mean, I know you're a fan of like you know the giallo and and that yeah. kind of thing. But are you talking about in that genre or or what the, other things are you thinking of? That, that the very talking? first thing that I remember seeing him in was Hannibal, oh, as okay. yeah. the Italian detective that is trying to catch Hannibal. Um, mm. He was not very successful. Actually, he was very unsuccessful. But then you know he was in the two of the recent Bond films. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to do a little bit of more research because he, his name is very familiar to mm-hmm. me, but I don't have a place of what he's been in without doing a lot more, you know, he's, he's <laughs> I mean, a, a popular father-ish figure. Okay. Um, also in, I don't, I don't specifically remember him, but like a walk in the clouds, which was a, Oh yeah. Sure. Keanu Reeves just yep. wrote a romantic comedy. Uh, well, not really the, the, the winery. What is yeah. that one? Yeah, right. I remember so like movie with me my years and years ago. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's I haven't seen it in quite some time, but sure. he's I've I've been a fan of his without knowing anything about him. Okay, sure. And that's the thing. That's probably where I'm coming from as well. Mm-hmm. The familiar name. Uh, yeah, maybe the face as an older man might be a little bit more recognizable, but he's certainly got presence here. Yes. And then Maria Angela Malato, uh, who was kind of his, she's she's introduced a little bit later in the film, but she's kind of his uh, love interest. And uh, she and he both were pretty staple figures mm-hmm. for Vert Moro films over the next, you know, decade or so and so, yeah, she's she's considered to be a pretty significant italian female actor herself mm-hmm. so mimi giancarlo uh giannini they're having an election and he's under the impression that it's going to be a secret election so he votes his conscience rather than his family essentially mm-hmm. and this is just a synopsis for the for the listeners and once everybody finds out that it's not a secret ballot you know he essentially gets kicked out of town run out of town because he'll he never he'll never work here again right? yeah because he voted for the communists rather than um the the, the mafia yeah, exactly is, yeah there's there's kind of this heavy-handed pressure you got to vote yeah. for the right guy and uh yeah it's, it's very humorously portrayed you mm-hmm. know he's he's working in this kind of quarry i guess just like yeah. busting rocks i mean the most <laughs> elemental labor there is and the, the so he ends up um, leaving town, uh, leaving Sicily, goes to Turin, and just starts to find odd jobs until he witnesses a inappropriate, uh, an OSHA inappropriate uh, workplace situation. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, with which is a, a death on the job site, and the mafia decides just to take care of the problem rather than do all the paperwork, and then he manages to get in good with the union and then decides just to create his own separate life in Turin when he meets up with uh, Fiorelli, uh, Fiorella. The, the mob boss there? Uh, oh, no. That's or, 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 or more the enforcer guy. I'm trying well, to... I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking about his... Um... Oh, Fiore, the, the yeah. woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah, and she's, she's basically just working sort of a, a street corner... Mm-hmm pamphleteer propagandist i mean she's basically again an outspoken maoist communist 
Marxist Leninist, or actually she identifies herself as a Trotskyist, you know, the left of the left. So she's as far out there on the limb as, as he can go. And he finds her, of course, visually just, you know, irresistible. And, and also kind of earlier in the film, uh, you know, it portrays his marital difficulties yeah. with his wife, who's a much more traditional, somewhat repressed, uptight Catholic woman who will just sort of sit there and grit her teeth while her husband does his uh, husbandly thing, you know, yeah. sexually speaking, uh, but doesn't really, you know, provide the kind of excitement and satisfaction and, you know, erotic attraction that he's looking for. So he's he's basically a Mimi, this is this hard-pressed working guy mm-hmm. who's just not really getting a whole lot out of life. You know, he's being told what to do. He can't really speak his mind when he's finally given this chance to get out of town and find a job in the prosperous north uh it's a bit of a, a windfall for him but it, it complicates things to say the least <laughs> um and uh his wife's father is for lack of better terms in bed with the mafia oh yeah absolutely. Uh, so when he comes to, to light that not only is he not popular in his family to begin with he openly votes against him. You know, life at home is never going to be the same. And exactly. I think he sees that both in his work life, having to find work in another part of the country. But, you know, once he realizes the beauty that's out there, that he can have the life he wanted. Um, yeah, yeah. And 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 so there's this, this opportunity for, for freedom and kind of new possibilities and you know all of all of the allure of you know throwing aside your your old way of life and and venturing out into unknown territory and Mm -hmm. and again that's very much in keeping with the whole sort of cultural eruptions of the late 60s early 70s you know do your own thing be free you know question authority and throw off the shackles of tradition and superstition and all of that yeah uh you know get progressive with your politics and and everything's just going to be awesome except it's not (laughs) Mm yeah this is a fun movie to watch it's 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 kind of heavy and heady when it comes to the subject matter but her editing style and filming style it's just a, an incredibly interesting comedy. Can they, oh, you can yeah. t- you can totally see the Fellini in it. Oh yeah, yeah. The the absurdity, the mm-hmm. you know the the dabbling in the grotesque and the vulgar and yeah. and all of that. Um, especially when you get into sort of the sexual politics of it, where first of all, you know, once once Mimi kind of makes his break, and now he's you know shacking up with this hip sexy you know gorgeous young free-spirited italian woman you know she's not hung up on monogamy she doesn't Mm -hmm. mind that he's married she understands he's got an old lady back home but you know whatever just do your thing baby you know it's it's good and and so he's kind of stepping into this new world of of you know shedding his inhibitions and and uh you know living the free life and and thinking for himself or so he so he believes and, um, and so, you know, it's all fine. And then of course he, he impregnates his mistress and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and he's never really been able to quite get it going with his wife, whether they're, she's infertile or whether he just doesn't quite have the, uh, same level of, of arousal and virility with his wife. Uh, they are childless, but now he's got a son all of a sudden. And, and so he's kind of moving in this, this new direction. 
until he discovers after, you know, certain events happen and he has to go back home because mm-hmm. he gets himself in trouble up north. Now he goes back home and uh, is you know very gently informed by a couple of his friends that, um, by the way, um, your, your wife had an affair and she's pregnant. And all of a sudden, all of that old world machismo and all that mm-hmm. sacred Italian honor comes flooding back in. And he's he's ready to go out and, you know, first of all, brutalize his wife for for defaming his reputation after after all of this uh you know libertine uh you know way of life that he's been indulging in himself now all of a sudden when the shoe's on the other foot uh he's back to the old (laughs) traditional uh you know macho man uh i must avenge my honor by slaughtering my wife because she's carrying another man's child and so you you see the the absolute shallowness of his ideological commitment here and and Mm -hmm. how easily his emotions trigger him into the most regressive of attitudes and behaviors yeah and which (laughs) leads him to then have an affair well right Uh, he he has he has a a revenge affair on on the wife of 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 his wife's lover (laughs) and 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 of course and then the wife of course once she understands what's going on you know there's a very I mean, it's it's kind of squirmy. It's definitely mm-hmm. uncomfortable, and I guess we got to issue the the trigger warning because there are some pretty hard depictions of domestic violence yeah. and you know homicidal intention from the husband to the wife, and then you know it reverses from the wife to the husband. So these things, I have to say, are played for laughs, and they may indeed make some viewers a bit uncomfortable based on you know sensitivity, personal yeah. history, and I, I respect that. But it's 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 pretty bracing stuff. I mean, you know, wh- whether you think it's just funny or painful or some combination of the two, it's pretty pretty powerful. Well, I would agree with you there. Yeah. Um, and then just the way that the land the film lands, I, I think it, it landed very well. Yeah, I yeah. I don't really want to go too deeply into it. No. No, it, it's it's there's a circular pattern here, yeah. kind of like what we saw with the Matai affair. The ending is the beginning, and uh, we see a sort of a, an echo of that. It, it's applied a little bit differently, but uh, that's Mimi's journey. And I think you know it's it's interesting. The um, the Italian title sort of starts a tradition that Bert Muller kind of carried on, where she gives her films really long titles, mm-hmm. and the Italian uh, translation would be Mimi the Metal Worker. Uh, wounded in honor so it's kind of you know talking about his employment which is when he goes up north he gets a job in a union as a as like a welder or something like that mm-hmm. so and and there's a really great line one of the quotes that stuck with me is after mimi comes back to town after he's gone up north a couple of his guy friends are talking it's like ah mimi he's become a real man he's a metal worker he owns a car he's got a wife now he's got a son and a mistress perfection <laughs> you know it's kind of like he's he's realized the epitome of, of italian manhood now you mm-hmm. know uh, you've got you got all the all the elements on your checklist right there and uh and it is it is kind of a funny parody of of that sort of traditional ideal of of what it what what manhood means in that culture mm-hmm. and yet the the i you know the translation or the you know maybe the summary english title the seduction of mimi i think is really a better title because it talks about what really happens in the film mm-hmm. and, and there's multiple seductions and and you, you know which is the real one which is the one where mimi really 
got lured in and, and sold out. Uh, and that's maybe a point of debate. Um, you know, we, I don't we want to settle that here or what, but he seemed to be, to me at least, a, a man who lacks substance, but um, is is very pliable to whatever way the wind is blowing, mm-hmm. ideologically, politically, sexually, uh, ethically, all of that stuff. It reminds me of actual life of being a man. You know? <laughs> exactly, there's, yeah. There's yeah. this historical expectation that is hoisted foisted upon us mm-hmm. that you know i'll speak for myself only the the list the listlessness of not ever I, I don't feel like i could ever truly embody what i was led to believe is the correct way of being a man yeah yeah and so we're always at war with ourselves right wanting to do the right thing mm-hmm. wanting to be true and and give our best to the people who mean the most to us sure. and yet you know in so many ways uh, and and right this this is a, a nice connection between italian uh culture of the 60s and 70s versus the lives we're living in here in the 21st century mm-hmm. in the usa but we we come of age and we find out that in in whatever respects our culture has sold us a bill of goods you know as yes. far as what is you know, the ideal way to be versus what reality kind of demands from us or allows us to be. And yeah, that, that tension I think is a really great sort of lens to, to view this story with, because even though there may be some particulars in Mimi's story that a lot of us guys cannot relate to, I think the underlying dynamics are still very present, yeah. you know, and, uh, and that, that makes it for a, for an interesting sort of opportunity for for personal reflection or to sort of see what's happening in society around us. I mean, I think, you know, we bandy about terms like, you know, toxic masculinity and, and uh, chauvinism and and sexism and stuff like that. And uh, there's, there's a lot of food for thought offered in this film, which again is made from a female perspective, even Mm -hmm. though Mimi is the protagonist and uh, the Fiore character is kind of a little bit subordinate, you know, her concerns are still definitely thought of i mean she now has a child and she she has had a uh, a relationship of some length and substance with with this man and yet she can't really be with him fully she knows that he's got divided loyalties to say the least and uh and then there's that whole kind of revenge uh thing going mm-hmm. on where he basically seduces and i would even say you know rapes the wife of his wife's lover or Mm. and and so it gets really complicated and again that is played for laughs um the this very (laughs) obese woman who's revealing herself in some pretty (laughs) unforgettable ways this is this is this is one where i didn't necessarily miss seeing that scene on the big screen (laughs) 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 Uh, there are some very prominent body parts that uh I, I was fine just seeing him on my 50-inch monitor and I believe it at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it kind of, it kind of, what you're saying about, you know, you know, in a sense, he's, he, in a sense, he is raping her, even though oh, it absolutely, appears fully yeah. consensual. He has an ulterior motive. Right. But he's flattering that. her and, yeah. and bringing her you know, into this point of being, and, and she resists him, you know, mm-hmm. she's a married woman with five boys and, you know, she's, you know, she knows herself. She's past her physical prime. She's yeah. not a sex object. She's just trying to be a respectable Italian housewife and doing what 
what she should do at this point in her life. And he just wears her down and finally convinces her that he's really crazy about her. And like anybody who's pursued with that diligence, yeah. well, boy, they must really be into me. Let's give it a go. <laughs> you know. And uh, but the, yeah. the the direction of the scene is really plays out for whereas Mimi's almost like a womp womp sort of a situation. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's gotta so, really kind of grit his teeth and go through with the D. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so yeah, so there is this kind of, you know, comic melodramatic, you know, confrontation, this big showdown. And we'll we'll let the rest of the movie play yeah. itself out and, and encourage viewers to see for themselves where this convoluted uh, you know, plot finally takes them. But uh yeah, I, I definitely I would say if I got to choose one or the other of these films, this is the one I would say go for because I think it's going to connect the most vividly with the broadest audience. I, I like them both quite a bit, but uh, yeah, this is the one that's going to be a little bit more resonant with a, a larger number of viewers, I believe. Mm-hmm. I the the fact that every mob guy that he saw it had the three. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, three moles on the side of his face. Right, yeah. There, there's the there's meaning here, you know, <laughs> almost like, kind of a conspiracy theory thing type of like thing a like on. the golden jacket of a <laughs> professional golfer. You know, oh yeah. okay, I can see it yeah. right there. Yeah, here, yeah. This is the hand of God, kind of uh, <laughs> you know, weighing down and and pressing me into action there. So, all right. Well, this is probably a good time to start sure. wrapping up uh, the conversation here. So, so what you know is going back to this this whole issue of uh you know sort of you know strident political leftism i mean sure. i think that's what really struck me in my initial views is like i'm just not used to i'm you know we all know the stereotypes of hollywood liberals and, and mm-hmm. all of that but but this felt like something different to me this is this is kind of saying let's go full-on marxist here let's do an italian version of that in both of these films they both seem to be advocating for that type of a uh, governing philosophy i mean and again whether rossi or or Bert Muller thought they were really going to succeed and in, in uh, making italy a communist nation i you know i'm not nearly deep enough into their personal philosophies to to speculate on that but it just felt really you know uh kind of uncanny to me to see that that portrayal of sort of a proposed political solution and what looked to be like you know mainstream entertainment of the times i yeah i i really think that too much there's too much that value um is is not the right word, but there's too much assumption that these leftist, left-leaning Hollywood elite type of movies really have any power to actually change, to create a, a large enough change. Like a to, political movement of some sort. Yeah, there. it's going to, it's, it's going to inspire people, but the same can be said about conservative media would have the same inspiration right they're, they're playing to an audience's appetite they they yeah. want to sort of see their ideals lived out and that, that, that's a great observation actually whether or not it's whether or not they wanted to or thought they could change any hearts they could make them dripping as much as possible in marxism and, and leftist uh, storytelling, but at the end of the day, the people that are going to 
get the most out of that meeting already felt that way to begin with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's preaching to the choir a little yeah. bit. Is what, yeah. And that's, right. you know, I don't see there being any problem in that, but then it's just going to get pointed out. Well, look at this. This is just another attempt by uh, Lena Muller to try and change the hearts of our young people. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, anytime you've got media of mm-hmm. whatever sort it, with a, with a, a message, an advocacy, if you will. Yeah. People who are on the other side of that issue, whatever it is, are going to say, Oh boy, here they go trying yeah. to brainwash the kids <laughs> or, or legitimize what we consider to be a corrupt ideology. And yeah, yeah. that, that happens from the left toward the right, from the right toward the left. That's just, that's the human condition, isn't it? To <laughs> have those points of disagreement yeah. and, and, uh, affiliation. The, 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 it's very interesting that these two films came out in the same year. They both managed to get on the Criterion channel for at least long enough to make your list. Yeah. Um, it is unique and interesting, both of which were Palm d'Or candidates at the very least. It's very interesting how that played out. And you could see a lot in the, at least in the 70s filmmaking that has had enough legs to make it to today. I've seen a lot more that has been left-leaning than right-leaning. But whether or not you can actually say that anybody watched The Seduction of Mimi and got enough out of it to change party affiliation <laughs> yeah, is, I mean, because it really, it, it makes the, it takes its side, even though on, even though there's clearly buffoonery, uh, clear buffoonery when it comes to the left-leaning politic of it, it also makes the same buffoonery of the right side. Oh yeah, yeah. The, so, the mafia and the traditional value set—they they yeah. definitely take their jabs as well. Yeah, right. So yeah, this this basically, I think at this point, it seems like Bert Muller's bottom line is even b- below politics. It's just yeah. about the foibles of of uh, human nature, in particular masculinity mm-hmm. and its its insecurities, its flightiness, its impulsiveness. Uh, its attempts to become a little bit more, you know, progressive and egalitarian when it suits him. Like in other words, he will talk the political game with Fiore because he knows that, you know, he's got to go as far to the left as he can mm. to get in her pants, you know, yeah. and, and to, to and to shack up with her. But once, uh, you know, once that's all sort of set aside, he will be as retrograde and and uh, you know traditional and machismo yeah, as as anybody, right? He's not gonna. He's not a hero for the people. He's a hero for himself. <laughs> right, um, right. It's it's almost if you look at the seduction of Mimi as him seducing himself to yeah. be as successful as he can for himself. Yep, believe in his own bullshit, so to yeah. speak. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good note mm-hmm. to 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 land on there. So, Jason, tell me a little bit. What's up? You've already talked a little bit about your your website and all that. Uh, you got any particular films or projects uh, in the near future? Well, I'll tell you this much. I, I said about as much as I, I thought about this ahead of time. Yeah. And I don't know exactly when this episode is going to uh, be coming out. Oh, uh, hopefully pretty soon. Yeah, okay. I don't want to. I've said enough about me. I want to take a moment right now to tell people that Don Hertzfeld has a new Kickstarter. Ah, yes. Uh, for his uh, World of Tomorrow, uh, the first three episodes. And... That I would rather spend time talking about that and uh, recommending that everybody get in on that. 
Um, yeah, I've got I've got my uh, order in, so yes, that's the, that was a good project to back. Uh, do you want to say more about it than that? Or um, I I first learned about him back in the Spike and Mike Animation Festival days, um, and I've been eagerly awaiting everything that he does. And as soon as I saw Ryan post about it, Ryan Gallagher, yeah, yeah. I I was ready, you know, ready and willing. And I never knew that I needed a my spoon is too big art print. <laughs> Okay. So yeah. you want one of the deluxe packages. There, yeah. Huh? Big fan. Yes. Yeah. I'm a big fan. It's that that's meant a lot to me. Just it's kind of like a almost how the if I'm having a bad day, Charlie Chaplin will cheer me up. Yeah. Excellent. Watching that original rejected cartoon will get me just the same. Awesome. Uh, well that's great. Yeah. I, I, I went in with a, one of the more baseline packages, but I'm very eager to add that to my little mini Hertzfeld collection i've yeah. got uh, you know it's a beautiful day and uh, mm-hmm. what's the other one there's that the... well they collected there there was a rejected dvd release but the beautiful day the from the kickstarter had most of at least his original yeah. um, shorts well definitely well, i'm happy to jump on the man i i mean i totally admire his work it's yeah. it's pretty incredible how comprehensive and mind-bending his cartoons can get and and they're so simplistic and minimal yeah. on the one hand but in enormously complex and you know self-referential and kind of a universe unto themselves so mm-hmm. it is really quite an extraordinary piece of work that he's put out there so yeah that's a, that's a great uh, recommendation uh, send me a link or I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes if people want to find out yeah. more about it i think he's blown way past his yes. initial fundraising goals but uh, doesn't mean you can't still jump on and support a worthy effort i mean to me it's just worth getting the the blu-rays um yeah. Because you can rent these, you can rent most of them on video, uh, on Vimeo, excuse me. Um, but, you know, we're collectors here. Let's be fair. Well, absolutely. Well, and, and, and then these are, you know, fairly rare. I mean, limited mm-hmm. editions. He's not going to be reproducing these once the initial run sells out, obviously. However, you know, strong the project is supported, they'll, they'll print enough you know, product to, to satisfy everybody. Yeah. But I don't think you're going to see it after after everything's said and done. So um, if he does another yeah. Kickstarter, that's going to be your only chance to get, because I think they're doing limited releases of his original Blu-ray yep. as a, an add-on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I mean, you can go to filmruminations.com and read stuff. That's fine. But cool. I would, uh, you would be much better served going to the link in the show notes and backing this in my opinion. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you throwing that in there. So uh, definitely click on the link for the show notes, folks, and and find this and and lots of other good stuff. I like I say, I like to do my little research and yeah. put up some supplementary reading materials if you want to get deeper into these films. Uh, find out the reviews, historical information, all of that. Mm-hmm. So my next episode will be on Jan Troll's The New Land. It's a sequel to The Emigrants, which uh, I covered with. Trevor Barrett and Josh Hornback back in March of 2019, so almost two years ago, in episode 48, we got into the first of those two really epic, magnificent films yes. chronicling the uh, the emigration from Sweden to North America, to the United States, in the, uh, I think, the latter half of the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, really fantastic, especially if you want to see uh, Max von Sydow and Liv Ullmann in a non-Bergman production. That They both give incredible performances uh, among the very best of their illustrious careers. These are really fantastic films. I'm looking forward to uh, kind of completing that circuit 
Uh, I've got some good guests lined up. So that'll be episode 93 coming up down the road. Uh, Trevor Barrett and I are also going to be doing an episode on uh, Inside the Box, which is our Criterion Box Set podcast on the Coker Trilogy. So that'll actually be the next podcast I record myself. Um, we're looking at doing that a week from now. So I've got some Karastami in my very immediate future to revisit those Excellent. wonderful films. So yeah, definitely got some good stuff coming up, and I'm feeling like I'm back in the podcasting groove again. So Wonderful. Excellent. Well, Jason, it's been a real blast. Thank you yes. for uh, getting up with me early this morning and getting this uh, podcast recording. I've really enjoyed my chat with you. Well, I did as well. To connecting with you down the road. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening in, everybody. Uh, we'll have links to how you can find us on social media, our websites. Uh, I'm on TikTok quite a bit these days, as well as other places, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Uh, but thanks for tuning in, and we'll be coming to you really, really soon. Thanks, thanks very much. All right. Bye-bye.